0: Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Great to see you. It's good to be with you. Are you feeling good? Yeah, you know, I've been listening to or reading a book by Wendell Berry. And there's this whole section in this book where it talks about the way people greet one another. And this, uh, this person who you're hearing the memoir from says, we, we ask one another, how are you doing? And we, said, we say we're fine. And you know what we know that we're not fine and we know you know that we're not fine but we say we're fine and that's how it is that's good in other words I, I guess not to not to belittle the idea that we say how are you i'm good that's not to say i'm ignoring the fact that i know that some of you have had hard weeks some of you have had a hard month or so but just know that i know and you know that I know, and we're all good. <laughs> because the Lord is working in us. The Lord is with us and near us. And we, what, what else do we do? We, we push on, we muscle on. And as we are in this season of Epiphany Tide, as we continue, you know, it feels like Christmas was a month, like months away. It was just a few weeks away. But as we're in this season of, Epiph- of Epiphany Tide, we're recognizing all the ways that God incarnate through Jesus, God with us, changes us. It's, it's, uh, it's really meaningful. It's, it's a season that's sometimes hard to lean into, but I'd encourage you to lean into it because we look at all the ways that the Messiah came to enact love and restoration in the world that he loves, including us, our hearts, our humanity, but also including his creation. This happens in many surprising ways, but one of the most, but one thing that's almost always true is that God is always working and moving somewhere. And sometimes we just need to ask ourselves, God, show me where you're working. Show me where you're moving. Show me where you're working. And of course, scripture is full of promise after promise after promise from the Lord. It's full of promises. As a matter of fact, once you start looking for this kind of pattern of promise in scripture, you can't stop seeing it. It's everywhere. It changes the way you read the word. Anytime in scripture when we read a statement that goes something like, if you do this, then this will happen, we're reading one of God's promises. We're encountering one of God's promises. The Old Testament narrative is stuffed with these things. Um, You know, they were often attempting to remind God's people, God's faithful, of what it looked like, one, maybe to survive in the land of the day, but two, how to thrive among the pressures that were facing them. Sometimes they were just economic pressures, sometimes they were war and famine and things like that. Uh, In Jeremiah chapter 7, we hear this if then statement this promise this is the word that came to jeremiah from the lord stand at the gate of the lord's house and there proclaim this message hear the word of the lord all you people of judah who come through these gates to worship the lord this is what the lord almighty the god of israel says reform your ways and your actions and i will let you live in this place if you truly change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place in the land that I gave to your forefathers forever and ever. The Old Testament's full of these kind of statements. God reminding his people through the prophets how to live in certain ways. You know, very often what God was asking the people to do was kind of counter to the culture in which they were living. It was calling God's people to be set apart and to be different than the other nations around them. The New Testament has many promises as well. It's no different in that, but the promises we find in the New Testament sometimes have a bit of a different feel to them, a bit of a different timber. Here, Second Peter, it says, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in certain measures, then they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This promise, this, it still has an if-then statement, but it's encouraging more of a frame of mind, a frame of heart, but it still affects the way we interact with others and the way we interact with our world around us. Today, we'll be looking at two such promises or if-then statements in our lectionary passages for this week. But these are going to give us maybe even more to ponder because they're, they're kind of constructed a little bit different. It's good. You'll, you'll like these. Uh, they give us, they open up the model a little bit and allow us to kind of ponder those things. and. As we do that, we'll kind of see, one, the way God interacts with his people in a variety of ways, but two, I hope the takeaway for us today is how can we discern the promises that God is giving to us or has given to us? How can we discern whether that thing that we feel like, if we just try this, then that will happen, how can we know if that's from God? Or if that's just our own idea. That's where we're headed today. So before we dive into our scripture, let's pray together. God, illuminate our minds by the, Spirit, by the power of your Holy Spirit. That as your scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, our eyes may see your kingdom. And our ears may hear the call of Jesus. And our hearts may know the joy of of your salvation amen we will we'll be in two passages of scripture this morning first is in isaiah chapter 9 and then we'll be in matthew in just a little bit but beginning in isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 4 it says this nevertheless the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever the land of zebulon and naphtali will be humbled But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice, but you as people at They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian." The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So did you notice something unique about that promise? It still had a very clear then statement. In other words, these are the things that are gonna happen. This location, this area of, of near the Sea of Galilee will be filled with God's glory. People who live there have been in darkness and they will see light. The nation will grow and its people will rejoice. Harvests and crops will even increase. And it didn't really say that there'd be extra work or toil about that. The people who were slaves would be free and the oppressors would be removed. But the the if statement was a little bit different in this promise. Instead of uh, a standard if statement, we have a when statement. In other words, it says, nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. You see, our life of faith is full of actions and consequences and results, but there are times in which God intercedes, God interacts, the kingdom interacts with our world in what seems like magical ways. And this is a beautiful thing that we call mercy, grace. In other words, oftentimes through no action of our own, God intercedes, to enact restoration of what is broken through his own timing, through his own graciousness, through his own goodness. This passage is talking about a specific piece of land, Zebulun and Naphtali. They were a bad neighborhood. (laughs) This, This area, these two locations, these were the borderlands of God's people being located on the northernmost part of Israel. They were perpetually threatened by the invading nations that surrounded Israel. Generations before, God had spoken to Abraham and he said these words, the Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to a land that I will show you. And a few verses later, he says, the Lord appeared to Abraham saying, to your offspring, I will give this land and then again, a few chapters later in Genesis, it says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I will give you this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kezites, the Commodites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Repherites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gigashites, and the Jebusites. I don't know if I got any of those right. <laughs> but essentially... God was asking Abraham to pull out a map and he says, get your marker and draw a square around what I'm describing to you. This is the land that I'm giving to you and your descendants. These lands included Zebulun and Naphtali, and they were on the very edge of that map. They were always the first ones to feel the threats of the warrior's boot, but God promised an alternative future for this land. It seemed impossible. Maybe, you know, here, generations later, Israel is in the land. Babylon has impacted them, Assyria has impacted them. As a matter of fact, Assyria set up um, holdings in this region of Zebulun and Naphtali, perhaps You know, perhaps God maybe got a a little bit wrong. Maybe, you know, as he was listing it, as he was having Abraham draw off that map, maybe he, I don't know, maybe not wrong, that sounds harsh, but I mean, isn't all the rest of it good enough? Shouldn't we be content with all the other parts? I mean, Zebulun and Naphtali, they're on the edge anyway, who cares, right? I think Isaiah was reminding God's people that just because our current reality does not line up with the promise, it doesn't mean that God has given up. And it's a promise for us. Just because our current reality does not line up with the promise doesn't mean we should give up. Are you carrying a promise from God that currently is not matching up to your reality? Do you have a hope or a dream that you've carried for years and you're like this far from giving up on it? The encouragement today is not to give up. Don't let go. Because just like these constantly embattled burden lands, borderlands that seem have been set aside or perhaps overlooked or perhaps forgotten or perhaps God just maybe got a little bit wrong, even though they seem to not be experiencing God's reality, God hasn't given up hope. He's still working to see a new day come, a fulfillment of this promise. For Zebulun and Naphtali, that light, much like our own, comes in the incarnation of Jesus. I love the way the lectionary connects our Old Testament passages and New Testament passages. We've probably read this a hundred times, but when you read them together back to back, you see such amazing, such amazing things. I see them at least, you'll see them too. Our passage covers this idea, God will be restoring these borderlands through Jesus, but we're also gonna see the fulfillment of some more promises in this passage, and they're gonna give us even something else to consider this morning. So Matthew chapter 4, we'll be picking up in verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth. Then from there, he left there and he moved to Capernaum, beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God said to the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beside the Jordan River, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined From then on, Jesus began to preach this way, saying, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of God is near. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for for they fished for a living, jesus called out to them come and follow me and i will show you how to fish for people and they left their nets at once and followed him a little further up the shore he saw two other brothers john and james james and john sitting in a boat with their father zebedee repairing their nets and he called to them too and immediately they followed him leaving the boat and their father behind Like, what was Zebedee thinking? Like, great. (laughs) That's not part of our story today. But Jesus traveled through the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Just like that, Jesus appeared and fulfilled what God had said, almost like it was... Like an afterthought, like in that passage, you know, Jesus showed up in this region and named it Zebulun and Naphtali, and then goes on and doing, doing the work, teaching, preaching, healing. It's easy to miss the connection, but God fulfilled the promise that he gave to his people all those years ago through Jesus in this area. You know, the last few weeks we've been hearing and following this story that's been arcing for us the last few weeks. It started on the day of Jesus' baptism two weeks ago. God revealed himself to us in Jesus in physical form. And he aligned himself with us by receiving a baptism of repentance. Even though he was God, sinless, Jesus entered into the water and came out again because God is with us. And then immediately the spirit descended upon him, anointing him with power, even though Jesus was already fully God, omnipotent, all-powerful. The next day, John the Baptist showed us what, how we can work to participate in this work and how we can do it simply by pointing other people to the light of Jesus. Telling others what he had seen and heard and experienced in proximity to Jesus. And then Jesus gave us a model of engaging with others, inviting others into our life by asking, what do you want? And by inviting to come and to see. That's what we've been experiencing in the last two weeks. And then the, the story, the narrative in scripture skips ahead a bit, at least in our lectionary passage for today, because of course in scripture, the thing that happens right after Jesus' baptism and he, is he goes into the wilderness. He goes into the wilderness for these 40 days of trial and temptation, facing many of the things that you and I face today, because again, God with us, but also as a formational aspect of his ministry. And our passage picks up today, what we just read, picks up today after that time in the wilderness. And it's interesting, I I was just fascinated kind of reading what Jesus does next. He comes out of the wilderness, and what's the first thing he does? He goes home, he goes to Nazareth. It says, you know, uh, he first went to Nazareth. Did any of you go away for college? Few hands. You move from home. You begin to experience life and opportunities in new, exciting ways. You start having all these new ideas and these new friends and, you know, life is exciting. And then the end of freshman year comes. And for many of us, I don't know about you, but for many of us, what do you do? you go home for the summer. (laughs) That was my experience. I went away to college and had a great freshman year. And after that first year, I moved home and I moved into my old room. And I even went back to the same job that I had in college or in high school, because it was a great job. Um, It was fine and sure, it was good to be home and to be with mom and dad, but it felt like I was just waiting for the summer to end for sophomore year to kick back on. In other words, I had moved on. I, my My experience, my life wasn't the same. It was a bit like kind of being in this limbo, period. Soon enough, sophomore year came and I went back. <laughs> I wonder if that's a little bit how Jesus felt. Have you ever like considered this? Have you ever thought of this? Presumably, Jesus, you know, obviously he lived in Nazareth for 30 years before we meet him and really get his story in scripture, but we all know almost nothing of what those 30 years were like. We only have a deep picture of these three years of his public ministry, this short window of time in Jesus's life. Have you ever thought about that? Like... Okay, God with us incarnate in Jesus. Like, this is terrible time management. <laughs> like, he had all this time. Why did he wait so long to start? You know, but who are we to judge? Jesus, God with us. You know, he might have felt a bit like coming out of the wilderness, and then, you know, he didn't have his followers yet. So he goes home. We don't know what he experienced. I like to imagine maybe he felt a bit like, you know what, it's time to start this ministry. Of course, we know that story when he reads from the scroll of Isaiah in his hometown, and he said, today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they're like, isn't that Jesus, the carpenter's son? They're like, they won't, you know, it's different when you're home. So he had to go, he had to go and get it going. But um, Jesus obviously knew the scripture and knew the promises. He knew this passage from Isaiah. And I wonder if that kind of maybe helped form as he's thinking, what should I do? Where should I go next? As he's discerning God's will perfectly, where we do it kind of blindly, I wonder if this passage helped him out. Maybe I should go to the Sea of Galilee. Obviously, there was a lot going on. I don't know who that is for today, that idea that maybe Jesus was like a college freshman for that summer in Nazareth, but maybe that's for you. But even as Jesus discerned his next move out of Nazareth, what better place to begin his ministry than in this region near his home. This region that clearly was experiencing darkness and needed light to bring rejoicing to the oppressed, to bring prosperity and sustenance to the hungry and freedom to the slave. Do you notice how often Jesus's miracles have to do with food? A fishing trip that's not going well, and now there's tons of fish. The dividing of the loaves and the fishes to feed. Anyway, God kept his promise to the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, but our story also includes some people. Folks, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. What about the promises and the hopes and dreams of his people? As you remember in our story, we first met Andrew and Peter last week when they were with their teacher, John the Baptist. Andrew and Peter were disciples of John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, look, there goes Jesus. And Andrew and Peter followed him and said, Master, where are you staying? And Jesus said, come and see. We heard that story last week. Now here we're picking up with Andrew and Peter again. Obviously there's been some time passed, 40 days. And now we hear that, John the Baptist, their teacher, is in jail for his bold proclamations about the kingdom of heaven and teaching this, this message of repentance and baptism and refusal to stop teaching that. Andrew and Peter have lost their master. They lost their purpose. And so like that freshman at the end of freshman year, they go home and they go back to their job. Can you identify with the disappointment that Andrew and Peter must have felt. Like the excitement of being right in the thick of it with John the Baptist and teaching. And I don't know, maybe they were the ones helping people in and out of the river as John was baptizing. They were right there in the thick of it. And here they are home fishing. They must be running over and over in their minds, wondering how they got it wrong. Wondering if they had misheard or misunderstood what it was that God was putting in their hearts in the first place. Surely their hope was not to lose these years, this experience, this time being beside John the Baptist just to go back home and fish. Then along comes Jesus. They knew Jesus. They had spent that night with him, as we heard last week in our passage. They even knew who he was because of John's testimony that he was the lamb of God. They knew he was the Messiah. They even spent time with him when Jesus said, what do you want? Come and see. We're not sure how the story progressed for Andrew and Peter as Jesus retreated from his uh, baptism into the wilderness, but I can imagine Andrew and Peter returned to John elated, excited about their evening with the Messiah and feeling like God's promises were finally coming true and they were right there on the front row. And then the centurions show up and say, is John the Baptist here, John the baptizer, who's been out in the region of Judah proclaiming a message of salvation And they take him away in chains. But God never gives up. God never gives up on the promise. Philippians 1 says, and we are sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. For Andrew and John, the restoration of the promise was once again to be given a position right on the front of what God was doing Can you imagine the scene, how it played out? I mean, the scene in scripture is pretty basic. One day, Jesus was walking along the shore. He saw two brothers, Simon and Peter. They were fishing, not Simon and Peter, Simon and Andrew, Peter and Andrew. They were fishing, throwing their nets. Jesus says, come follow me. And they left their nets and followed him. That's all we get. But I imagine the scene was much more kinetic than that. I mean, the shock on their faces, turning to awe as Andrew and Peter recognize Jesus. First they hear him, then they recognize who he is. The scrambling to get the nets in and the boat to shore, the questions and clamoring they must have been bombarding Jesus with. I imagine Jesus smiling from ear to ear to be rejoined with these two. Just as Jesus revealed God to a very particular location, to very people, very particular people in his ministry, the result of God's incarnation and his work in us means that the presence that fills us in our environments, our locations, and our bodies matter. It's this kind of this point is really important for us. I think it's critical for us in understanding the incarnation and really understanding fully who. God is, Jesus is, God with us. Jesus has a body, one that the people of Scripture could see and feel and smell. We expe- <laughs> Dina's like had this terrible <laughs> look on her face. Can, yeah. I mean, we experience one another in very physical ways. Jesus had a physical body, has a physical body. Andrew and Peter were not just experiencing this intellectual cerebral encounter. They saw and heard Jesus and it caused their bodies, their adrenaline to react. It's important for us to kind of remind ourselves that we also live in this physicality And that this physicality, this body of ours might play a role in the way we discern what are God's promises for us? What are God's promises for me? It's important for us to consider that to consider the way that God works in us. We might intellectually know something. We might actually be able to intellectually work our way through a decision, but we should also definitely physically be able to interact with our decisions and what's happening around us. When Andrew and Peter, James and John, heard the call of Jesus to follow them, their hearts were likely thudding with excitement. I don't imagine that they needed to spend much time discerning. I mean, I don't imagine James and John saying, Zebedee, what do you think? Should we go with this guy and these two guys? I mean, at least in the scripture, it makes it sound like it was a pretty immediate decision. There wasn't much deliberation that had to happen. They were likely listening to their bodies as they reacted to the call of Jesus. Once again, to leave their trade and to follow a teacher. We hear this phrase or this terminology, sometimes you just feel something in your guts. You just feel good or feel bad about something. We experience that in like our daily lives, our, our, uh, our daily experiences. How often do we let that interact with our Spiritual experiences, our spiritual lives. Learning to trust the voice of Jesus is not just an intellectual act, but a whole body experience. Because every human bears the image of God. Just as we relate to our closest friends and our family emotionally and physically, so too can we relate with God in mind and in body. When hearing and discerning the promises of God in your life, you're listening for the where and the when and the what. Does that make sense? So when you're, we're hearing and discerning how God's working for us, we're kind of listening for when is it gonna happen, where is it gonna happen, and what will I be doing? But our passage today includes all those three things, but in my encouragement to you today, I think there's another question that we should be carrying with us or asking. And that's how, how do I know? How will I know? How can I ever know what God's promises for me are? Maybe this is just my idea and I don't know if I can trust my own ideas. After all, if it was God, surely something would have been happening by now. If it were God, then Why does it feel so hard? Or if this is really a good godly thing for my life, then why is it feeling like nothing's happening? Why do I need to make this move? Why do I need to make this step or this decision or this investment? It feels like I'm kind of forcing the issue. Shouldn't God's promises just be happening to me? We do see that, that's where we started. We started seeing that the promise to Naphtali and Zebulon wasn't a win, or it wasn't a how. It was more of a win when, when Jesus comes. But in our lives, we experience both. We experience the win, but sometimes we experience the how. Is your story? Is your experience showing that today? Have you experienced that when, time, when the, you know, the time is right, things just kind of fall together? Or sometimes do you have to take a step? Sometimes you have to make a move. Jesus felt the need to move to Nazareth. Andrew and Peter felt the pounding in their chest and they couldn't get the boat in off the shore fast enough. James and John likely caught the contagious excitement around Jesus and Andrew and Peter. Can we, in the same way, trust our bodies, can we trust our gut, so to speak, as we consider how God is working in us and around us? Jesus did, and he did this, and you're created in his image with the physicality that I think sometimes we're distrustful of. And it's, it's not a surprise. Because there's some disclaimers here. Do we sometimes get it wrong? Yeah. (laughs) Is there grace and mercy and forgiveness for when we do? Yeah, there is. Are our physical bodies broken? In other words, do we need healing? And sometimes it's hard to trust a broken body. Is that true? Yes. When we do experience brokenness, does God's healing sometimes, or oftentimes come through professional help, doctors and therapists? Yeah. If Jesus' body was fully divine and incarnate, then isn't my body fully divine and incarnate too? Nope, (laughs) no. Jesus is Jesus. Jesus is a special case. We're reflections of him. We're Christians, we're tiny Christs, but we're not fully God incarnate. Does any of this change how God works? I don't think it does. It informs and is a part of our story. So I've kind of been laying out a big swath here. One, how to recognize, how to see, where to find, where to to understand the promises that God's made to his people through scripture but then we also have to then equate that into our lives. And much of that work is the work of discernment. What promise from God do you carry with you today that may need the renewal and hope that we heard even in the book of Isaiah? Jesus came to a particular location in his carnation. What does that mean for your location? How does that make you feel about the promises that you have for your community, for your workplace, for your family? Every human bears the image of God. How does that incarnation of God with Jesus, God with us, help us better see the image of God in our relationships? What does it mean for you to live into the incarnation of Jesus? How does that enable God to reveal himself to you in body? And finally, remember what Jesus said in our passage to Andrew, Peter, John, and and James. He said, come and follow me. This expression used by Jesus when he said, come and follow me, was like literally come and follow me. Uh, during Jesus' ministry, his followers were not just more of the crowd. They weren't just hearers. They were the ones who were behind the scenes with Jesus doing the work. Being a follower of Jesus is all about following your teacher so closely with so much focus and attention so that their words, their way of saying things, their actions, their way of doing things become imprinted upon us so completely that our words, our way of saying things, our actions, our way of doing things begin to look a lot like Jesus. Some of you will remember this idea. We talked about this a few months back at the end of the summer. To follow your master is to be so close and to be so up in his business that you're literally covered by the dust from his feet that he has kicked up. Covered in the dust of Jesus. Being a follower, discerning his work, discerning his move is to follow his teaching and his way of doing things so closely with such attention that his way of saying things, his way of doing things imprints upon us, becomes our way of saying things and our way of doing things. There's been a lot for us to consider today. The when, the where, and the what of God's promises, but also importantly, the how of God's promises. How do I know? As we gather around the Lord's table this morning, I ask that you would just carry these things gently maybe considering your hopes, maybe considering the promises that you carry, because the Lord has not given up on the promises that he's given you. He hasn't given up on you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us and for guiding us and speaking to us. Lord, we thank you for giving and bringing light. Even when we, like the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, were enslaved and in darkness and despair. Lord, give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily your call when we hear it, just as the way that Andrew and Peter, James and John did. And Lord, as then you moved into the region and proclaimed repentance and and enacted the work of the kingdom through healing and through interacting with Uh, people who needed miracles. May we also enter into that work which is still taking place in our world today. Lord, we ask that you would shape and guide our lives. And Lord, I think most often, the hardest part of all of this is just wondering whether we've heard right, whether it can really be that we can do this or that dream that you've that is in our heart discerning whether that dream is from you but God may we cling to the things that give us excitement and give us hope and cause our heart to beat God may we resist and flee from the things that just don't sit right when we think it over God we ask that you would help redeem us not only in mind spirit but Lord also in body that we may trust as you lead us and direct us God we thank you for this time and now as we gather at your table we ask that you would open our hearts to experience you more fully as we honor and worship your body broken and resurrected as we interact with this Symbolic act of the Spirit moving in us and through us. Amen.